Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. We're starting today a new series of messages called The Proven Playbook. I hope you got into that music there. I guess I could hear a little extra pounding on the floor in that time. My name is Pastor Josh Delarosa. If you're newer to OCC, I just want to welcome you here today. And this series is intended to help us focus on the core values that we practice here at OCC. Uh, Teams huddle around plays. Coaches and quarterbacks and captains, uh, they draw their plays from playbooks, right? And we have a set of plays that we just keep running here year after year. And in a moment, I'm going to explain why we do. Uh, it is a new school year is about to begin. And so parents, if you're, if you're here, I, I hope you're ready for that. Are you? <sighs> well, we timed our sports camp to be pretty much like a major burst of energy uh, for your kids right at the, at the, uh, at the end of the summer. So they won one final push of fun and then school begins. And so uh, parents, we're praying for you and uh, pray for me. I'm a parent as well and I've got three kids. And so it is, this time really does ramp up challenging aspects of, of, of training and coaching and uh, while, you're, while our kids are walking through the challenges of, of, of their education. Uh, but that's, that's coming right now is, is school starting. Another thing is in about two weeks, we welcome back about 50 to 75 plus college students who are a part of our congregation. And so in just a few weeks, there'll be 50 to 75 more college students around here because they're a part of our church. And so this presents a rare opportunity. And according to, the reason is this. According to research, about half of American college students who are raised in Christian churches uh, abandon their Christian faith during their undergraduate years. And so that's a pretty disheartening stat, isn't it? Uh, kids raised in church, youth groups, you know, by the end of their, their undergraduate experience, many of them have walked away from their faith. And so uh, we, we have a rare opportunity to help impact students uh, from this area. Riverside is a college town. There's, there's uh, several colleges here, but we primarily draw students from UC Riverside, Riverside Community College, and Cal Baptist University. And so I really want to encourage you. I hope you will take the time to get to know uh, our OCC college students who, who call this church home. Many of them serve here in, in our ministry. Many of them help in our kids' ministry, in, our, in several of our volunteer teams, brewing coffee, greeting our guests. And so uh, we really uh, love the opportunity to engage with students here. And so it's an opportunity. And, but because of that, uh, once you add in 50 to 75 more people, we start running out of space in our two services. And so this creates an opportunity for us. And so on September 16th, we're launching a third service in the mornings on Sundays. And so... September 16th, like five weeks away, uh, we're going to have three morning services. It'll be 8.30, 9.45, and then 11 o'clock. And so uh, we'll, we'll be rolling out more of the details so that you can know how to help prepare for the launch of, of that third service. And that'll be an exciting time. We've been doing two services uh, for the past, I think, seven years. The first year, or first few years, we had one service, and then we multiplied to two, and then uh, we, we recognized we were kind of hitting a point. Because summer, with summer totally ending... Uh, families will be done vacationing as well. So we're just 
uh, the fall really does kind of kick into gear uh, a larger group here. And so back to our series, okay? In sports, you have uh, coaches who gather and huddle their teams to, to call plays. And so here's a picture of a coach, and he's got the play card up. The football coach, he's got the play card. On the play card are the football plays the, 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 by, by name. And now these teams, they memorize these plays. They know what formations to stand in. They know what to do on the field. But they, but they reference this, this play card. And once the players you know, leave, or the quarterback here, once he leaves and heads onto the field, everyone's really looking to the quarterback to then call plays. Now the quarterback keeps a quick reference of the team's playbook on their wrist. And I don't know if you know this, but here's a picture of uh, Tom Brady, and he's referencing his, his wristband, which you might just think, oh, that, I thought that was just a, a sweatband. No, actually, it has, a, it has the plays inside that wristband there, and he can call those plays, and everyone's looking at him, because every team you know, has their set of playbooks. They're different for different teams, even different sports. Teams, you know, run risky plays, uh, risky plays or hopeful plays. Like a, a good example of a hopeful play that probably every football team does is, is the Hail Mary. Have you heard of the Hail Mary uh, play, the football play? I mean, some of you may have heard it in different contexts, but um, Hail Mary on the football field means you're down and you need a miracle and so you're down, and so the quarterback, he draws back, and his receiver goes deep, and, and he throws it deep, and, you know, if the receiver gets it and scores, you know, they win the game. It's a miracle. But that's like a hopeful play. You don't, you don't play a whole season just throwing Hail Marys up there, do you? No. There's risky plays that are more like, uh, you know, we're going to do the fake punt, or we're going to do the fumble rooski. Some of you football players know those, and others, you know, there's these, there's these risky kind of once-in-a-while plays, and you're tr they're trick plays, right? They're trick plays. You don't win games, though, on hopeful and risky plays. You, you win games because you have a trusted playbook. These are tried and true plays that bring success. And at our church here, <clears throat> we're, we're a team. We're a team of people. And we actually have our go-to plays. And these plays are not coincidental. They're very intentional. They're actions that we take to bring just health and, and really have helped us make progress towards our mission, the mission that Jesus has given us as a church for the past 10 years. We call these plays the, the OCC heart attitudes. And there are seven of them in all. And so we're going to walk through these heart attitudes. These are our core values that we're going to cover in this series. Now, as we walk through this, I hope it will answer the question, if you've been coming around here and you've enjoyed getting to know us as a church, and you're like, you know, there's something unique about the way this group works together, these ought to explain uh, some of our, of our primary values, the, the, the practices that we really hold in high regard here. And we call them the heart attitudes. So I, I invite you to take out this listening guide. You'll find this in your program, and you can follow along, fill in some of the blanks if you'd like. So why, why heart attitudes? I want to describe this. Because Christ following is a matter of, first, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. The heart is what you choose to be about. The, your heart is the real you. Your heart, it's the real you. At the very core of who you are is your heart. It's, it's like the cockpit of your life. A plane, you've heard of the cockpit in the plane where the pilot sits and they're controlling the plane. Uh, years ago, flights would take off and, and you could, the cockpit door would be left open. You could actually see the, the pilots from your seats. But 
Uh, a few years back, uh, what happened? We started securing the cockpit and protecting the cockpit, making sure no one who's not supposed to be inside the cockpit is able to gain entry because whoever controls the cockpit actually controls the direction of the plane. And so our heart is very you know, similar. This is true of our hearts. Whatever goes on ultimately in your heart will determine the, the direction of your whole life. And so you want to guard what's going on in, in, in the heart. So that's the first part, our heart attitudes, is the core. And then as a Christ follower, it's also a matter of attitude. Okay, attitude, we, we talk about attitude, you know, we might say that's the way I feel or I have good attitudes or bad attitudes. But the word attitude is your angle of approach on life. It's how you approach everything in life. You have an attitude. Uh, the word attitude is actually, it's interestingly enough, it's a flight term, the word attitude. It's a flight term that describes the orientation or the angle of an approaching aircraft. So that's their attitude. As a, as a flight is coming in, the angle of approach is, is the flight's, it's that plane's attitude. So either a spacecraft or an aircraft in relation to, a, to the earth or in relation to a star, if you're talking about like a shuttle, that attitude is that angle of approach. Now the angle of approach is critical for a flight. You, you, you don't want to be off in that angle. And it's the same in life. Your attitude is critical. Your attitudes actually do this. It determines your responses in life, your approach, your viewpoint, your angle of approach will affect all of your responses in life. If someone rubs you the wrong way, your attitude, your angle of approach will, you know, it will play out. Your response will flow out of the way you see things. In fact, it does this. It includes the thoughts. It includes the feelings that I choose to indulge as I approach people, as I approach events, and as I approach situations. And so... So therefore, Christ following is a matter of heart and attitude. And it's also a matter of shifting my natural angle of approach to match Jesus' angle. For a Christ follower, this is the change that has taken place. Is there's a shift in that orientation. There's a shift in the angle of approach. Where our old natural angle and viewpoint, it gets challenged and we begin to shift and line things up to the way that Jesus' angle is. One church leader, Paul, he wrote this about the shift. He, he writes to one church, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Basically, we, we naturally approach people and situations from a certain angle, from a certain point of view. So, but once they became Christ followers, he's saying, We no longer do it from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. There's a shift that has taken place in attitude. We adjust. In fact, Philippians 2.5, we adjust to this. Your attitude, your angle of approach should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is a major shift that takes place for a Christ follower. It's a mental shift that takes place where we begin to adopt Jesus' angle, his view on life, his way of life. Now, this overhaul of attitude is not easy. It's not easy. Because... We all naturally come into life and we, we adopt other attitudes. So we may naturally have a sight attitude versus a faith attitude. We operate, a sight attitude is like where you operate based on obviously like what you can see in front of you in the physical, natural realm. And so when someone talks to you about faith and trusting in God who you can't see, that requires faith. And that's a major shift from a sight approach to a faith approach. Or we may naturally have like a selfish attitude. 
I don't need to ask for like volunteers to talk about who has a selfish attitude, but I'll just volunteer myself. Like naturally, I have a selfish attitude. For example, when someone says, when someone asks for for our help, you know, asks for your help, you know, it's it's natural just to think, why? <laughs> because we naturally have a selfish attitude, so there's a shift. Or we may naturally have a fearful attitude where we just, we can't shake the fear. And so maybe people start calling us or God starts calling us to trust in Him or to take courage. And it's not easy for us just to shake the fear. Here's a quote. This is Pastor Charles Swindoll. He, you know, famous pastor. He, he was quoted here. Life is 10% what happens to you and about and 90% of how you react to it. So we can, we can choose our attitudes. This is very powerful. You can choose your reactions. You can choose your attitudes. And so what we're going to do in this real series, we're going to get real practical with instruction from the Bible. We're going to hit several verses today because the Bible is so practical. And we want to show you why we build around uh, a practice here that we call heart attitude number one. And we're going to walk through this and describe it. Now this first practice, and you'll see it on your listening guide, but we're not going to bring it up quite yet. This first practice, it's similar to a sports idea. And here's the idea in sports. Take one for the team. You ever heard of this? Take one for the team? It's, it's the phrase of, you know, I sacrifice myself for the good of my team, right? I'll take one for the team. I'll take the pain if someone needs to take it. Like, if someone's going to need to... Plow through that line right there. Bunch of linemen. Who's, gonna, who's willing to take one for the team? You're going to get hurt, but we need you. I'll, I'll take one for the team. Or, you know, here's an example of taking one for the team from sports. <laughs> he took one for the team right there. <laughs> and he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty beat up right there. What's this guy's name, Jordan? Fellaini. Fellaini? One of our soccer resident experts here. <laughs> Fellaini, I sure hope that Fellaini's face actually saved the game <laughs> for this kind of pain that he's in. Because can you imagine the soreness after the fact, you know, to take one for the team in your face like this? Soccer players, sometimes they have to do this though, right? Sometimes there's a penalty kick and the, the team lines up in front of the goal and they're just trying to protect themselves from getting hurt. And... Uh, and they got to take one for the team, right? And he's, he's doing that right there. Here's another in baseball. Oh, take one for the team. Sometimes players are willing to get hit by the pitch because if you get hit by the pitch in baseball, you automatically get on base. And so there's a strategy tied to taking one for the team. If you've played baseball, you understand. Sometimes the, you know, the coach will just say, hey, wear it. What he's saying is lean into the pitch and, and take it. Wear it for the team. Just wear the ball on your back, on your shoulder. And now, again, it's a sacrificial action. It's a strategy in baseball to pull this off. Now, here's what most baseball players want to do, though. They want to get up to the plate, and this is what they want to do. This guy, he's, his nickname is Big Poppy, okay? As you can tell, he's a big fellow, right? He's a big guy. He's drilled this ball. He's hit the ball already. Now look at everyone's like, whoa. I mean, he's looking at it. He's like, yep. And the umpire's like, whoa. You know, the catcher's like, oh, man, you know. And, and is Big Poppy, 
you know, running at this point. Like most of us would think, you know, I should run, right? I hit the ball, I'm supposed to run, even if I hit it over the fence, which he clearly did here. No, not him. What do you, what's he going to do? What's he going to do next? He's going to flip his bat. He's going to, so he blasts the ball, then he's just going to watch it, and he's going to flip the bat, then he's going to pop the chain, and then he's going <laughs> to, and then he's going to take a slow trot around the bases so everybody can watch him with his moment of glory, right? Now in baseball, when Big Poppy walks up, if a coach says, hey, wear it, he's thinking, man, I don't need to wear it. I could, I could hit it over that fence. And the coach says, wear it, it's time to wear it. It's time to take one for the team. Like this guy. Ooh, right in the back. You know, that's going to sting. That's going to hurt. Poor Dodger. <laughs> Notice who's throwing at him. You see the little orange, uh, orange and gray? <laughs> that's the Giants throwing the pitch at him, I think. So <laughs> they don't like each other, those Giants and Dodgers. But this, this idea shows up. It shows up all over the place. In life, it shows up. At work, it shows up. At home, take one for the team. Sacrifice. For friendships, sacrifice. Take one for the team. This is one of our go-to plays here. It's not take one for the team. That's not the phrase we use. But here, here it is. It's practice number one. It's this. Our attitude one is put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is oftentimes the call that is played. Time to, it's time to sacrifice. Time to put other people's interests ahead of our own. Now, church life calls for this time and time again. And so we aim to personally sacrifice for others. And I want to break this down and show you why this is so important. Look again at Philippians 2.5. Paul writes this. He says, your attitude. And this is to a group of Christians who, not all, the recent Christ followers, many of them. He's, he writes to them, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. There's a shift that needs to take place from your old natural attitude. Your attitude now needs to shift to, to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And Paul, he's writing this to people who, who are in this ancient, or this Philippi is the city. It's an ancient uh, ruin area. Now, here's a picture of the ruins of ancient Philippi. You'll find this in modern day Greece. But there was a group of Christians there that embraced Christianity. And Paul's writing these instructions about their attitude and the shift that needs to take place. Because becoming a Christian wasn't just like joining a new sports team. It's not like you got traded, you were playing for the Dodgers, and now you're traded to the Angels, and you're like, okay, I just, I drive 45 minutes and I put on a new jersey. I guess that's what it means to become a Christian. No. It actually means that Jesus is now at the core of your life. You've yielded your life to Jesus Christ as the boss, He's now the leader. You take on a new mindset, you take on His way of life. So that's why Paul writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now backing up two verses and you get the practice. Here's the practice. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. This is where this hard attitude comes from. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That's so difficult, isn't it? It can feel like a drag to do that, doesn't it? Consider others better than yourselves. Paul writes, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the attitude that Jesus displayed, and this is the attitude that Christians are called to imitate. And what we learn is, is this, that Christ calls me to agape love. Agape is the Greek word for love. And there's, there's a few Greek words that are used that can translate to, as love, but this is a very specific word, agape. So love other people as I love myself. To get real specific. Christ calls me to love other people as I love myself. 
Here's a, a familiar verse in the Bible, Matthew 22, 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is, you know, like the second greatest commandment, Jesus says. Luke 6, 31. This is where we get the golden rule from. Do to others as you would have them do to you, Jesus told his followers. He, he, he talked about this. We call this the golden rule, but the starting point on the golden rule is, is what? It's you, right? It's that you love yourself. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't, I don't love myself. So how do I love people as I love myself? Because I don't like myself. I don't like the way I look. I don't like my height. I don't like my body type. I don't like my hair. I don't, I don't, on and on and on. I don't love myself. But you know what? I would challenge that. I really think you do love yourself. You know how we know that we love ourselves? When there's a line. Or when there's a race to the restaurant door. You know, you pull up to Chili's and you're really hungry. And you see two or three other, you know, cars or families pull up at the same time. You got to get other, you got to get kids out of the car. You just, or you got a group of people, you got to get out of the car. And you pull up and you're like, uh-oh. And you're like, I am. It's like the OK Corral. And you're like, you're looking at people and you're, and you're like, uh-oh, he's going to make a bolt for the door. And you're like, hey, you know. And it's like, uh-uh. And you're trying to kind of... They're coming from different angles toward this door, so you're hoping maybe they don't notice my rate of acceleration here. I don't want to make this too obvious. It's the race for the restaurant, or, or it's, the, it's the race to the shortest line in the grocery store. You're like, you're coming down, and then there's, you know, there's five on this, register five, and then there's one that opens up, and you're like, <laughs> and you're like trying to get into that line, or at the movie theater, wherever. Here's the reality is, we naturally... Put a priority on ourselves that we don't put on others. We naturally put a priority on ourselves that we do not put on other people. Now, did you know this? For a Christ follower, Jesus leads us beyond the golden rule. He, he actually takes it beyond just loving others like you love yourself. He actually calls us to love as he loved. Christ calls me to love others as he loved me. You're to love people as Jesus has loved you. He, he kind of ratchets it up a notch and says, hey, it's even, if it's even more than just loving yourself. Love them. Love the people around you. And sacrifice, because that's what Jesus did. Look at the verses. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I've loved you. I've, Jesus served them. He sacrificed sleep for people. He, he gave up rest and ease for the sake of people. He put people ahead of himself. And in that same way, he's saying, in that way, so you must love one another. By this, verse 35, by this action, by, this, by, by practicing, by doing this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's, that's huge. Later, John, he, he writes this in a letter to be circulated amongst the churches. This is another follower of Jesus. This is how we know what love is. Here's the definition. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He's referencing the cross. Jesus offered up his life on the cross. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Lay down your life for others. We, we want to, as a church, we want to run this play over and over and over again here. Jesus calls us to sacrifice for one another just as he did. And what this means practically for us is that we're going to spend a lot of time helping other people with their goals. And if you're part of OCC, you realize that because there's, that's, that's, it, this comes up often here. We, we, it's, 
many times in church life, this play is called. Hey, here's an opportunity to serve. Here's an opportunity to help out. Here's an opportunity to sacrifice. And that's a real challenge. And it's also a problem because when we generally think about the word love, the word love is very generic. So you can even pray, God, help me love people more. What does that even really mean? Help me love people more. Real love gets very specific in the Bible. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's very specific. Laying down my life. It's more than a feeling of... Love isn't just a feeling. This is calling to action. It comes down to countless practical situations that have choices. Will I help? Will I sacrifice? Will I wait on me and mine? Now here's a few side notes. One of them is this. My interests are not unimportant. Your inter- you have goals. You have interests. We have those, yes. We're not saying that those aren't important, but also I act... Here's that other statement. I act in a way that also benefits others. I don't just get wrapped up in my agenda for life. I get, I get focused in on helping other people with their goals. To just get wrapped up on my agenda is an empty way to live. So going even back to verse 3 in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This word, vain conceit, it literally translates empty glory. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or empty glory, vain conceit. Whenever you push yourself ahead of the group, it never, ever fills you up. You're always trying to grab for more. It's never enough. It never satisfies. And so look at how specifically to make this shift on the backside of the listening guide. First, I change my attitude from selfishness to compassion. I make a shift. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate. Paul's writing this to, to, to the church, to Christ followers. Hey, be kind and compassionate to one another. That's, that's not easy to show compassion for one another. This word compassion, it's an interesting word in the, in the original language. It actually translates as like tender-hearted. That's another way of saying compassionate, tender-hearted. But real literally, it's talking about a care for people deep in the stomach. Like if you were to just take the literal words. It's, it actually, it's, it talks about the bowels. Like from a, have care deep in the bowels for other people. Isn't that that strange thought? Care for them in my inner parts. (laughs) What he's saying is, feel for people so deeply, empathize with them so deeply that your stomach hurts for them when they're going through difficulty. Have, and have you ever had that experience where someone in your life, their their life starts unraveling and you actually feel their pain with them. You, You get you, you get close enough, you let it come in. A lot of times we just want to shut people off and not let their pain break through and, and we try to distance ourselves and keep the pain of others and the world outside. This is actually saying compassion is to allow that to get inside of you to where you feel empathy and care for other people. I allow myself to be impacted by them. He goes on, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here's the idea. I look... Through their eyes. That's what it means. I look through their eyes. Not just mine. I look through their eyes. I try to get into their world. Now, I, I recently violated this completely uh, this past week. 
I, was, I had an opportunity to put someone else's interests ahead of my own, and I failed at it. I mean, I've had many interests, and, and I'm sure I failed at several. Um, but one in particular, I was, on a, I was out of town. Uh, you may have heard we were, my wife and I were celebrating a 40th anniversary for, for uh, a church that we are closely connected to. And, and so I had a flight to get out to Texas, and when, when I landed at, at, the, at the airport... Um, my seatmate here beside me needed to use the restroom, and I was kind of not focused on that. And you know, you're taxiing and you're trying to—I don't know what you're doing. You're trying to wait till the little the ding happens. You know, it's ding, and then what everyone does, or what do you do? You unbuckle your belt, and then what do you do? You get up and you clog the aisle, right? You you kind of claim your you box people out, maybe, right? You ever know, some of you know what that looks like? Well, I'm sitting in row 29, and so my seatmate um, needed to use the restroom. So when the dean came on, I wasn't prepared to... I was on the aisle. This person in the middle uh, needed to use the restroom, and so asked me if I could step aside. And I looked, and I, I, I had a puzzled look. It was kind of like... We're 29 rows back from the door, and I'm thinking... I, I just didn't get up. I was just like... And in that moment of hesitation, what happened, you think? Everybody else got up and clogged the aisle. And so then it was like, well, thanks for, for helping me with my goals. And then I'm, and I'm like, well... Uh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do we really think we're, we're going to get off this plane any faster? I'm thinking, I'm like... Because then the other thing is that if I have to wait for you, then I'll have to wait a little longer too, right? So I hesitated. I didn't put their interest out of my own. And it was clear. It was a selfish act on my part to, to not get out of the way. I blocked this person's goals because truly they would have probably got five or ten positions in line a little faster and been able to get off the plane a little faster and got to their goal. I, I was thinking me, not them. Now, over and over and over again, we have these situations come up where it's me, not them. It just happens all the time. If someone calls, hey, can you, we could really use your help with a move, or we could really help your, use your help on a project, and you're thinking, you know, I, I'd, I'd really like to help, but I'd have to interrupt my plans for, for that morning or for Saturday morning, or I'd really, have to, I'd really have to get up. I was planning on sleeping in. There's all of these challenges. Here's another shift. Arrogance to humility. This has to do with our relative position to others. The big question here is who deserves it more, me or them? If you're like me, you naturally think, I deserve it more. I deserve it first. That's the natural attitude. This comes from our natural default of pride and arrogance. But here's the problem. There's a God. A real God. And here's, here's what he says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So this is a shift from I deserve it to they deserve it. They deserve it. Again, this is actually what Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. It's even hard to say it, isn't it? They deserve it. Maybe we should practice. They deserve it. It's hard to say. Because we start thinking of all the objections. Well, I kind of deserve it too. If you're on a volunteer team here and you're serving in the group, the group of volunteers needs to shift the plan or the schedule and, you, and, and you're wrestling with it. They deserve it. 
That's, this, that's how this practically works out. That's, that's Jesus' way. He stepped down and he lifted up the needs of others. Now another change in my attitude is this. I go from knowledge to benefiting. Knowledge to benefiting. Paul writes this to a different church. He writes, knowledge, it puffs up. But love builds up. Knowledge, it kind of, our head gets a little bigger, our pride and arrogance. The more we know, we, knowledge in, in, in American Christian circles and in American churches, knowledge is a pretty big deal. Bible study knowledge, where I can know more than you. That can be a pretty big deal. And it, may, it can make you feel pretty big and impressive. And you know what? Knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge about God's Word is a, is a good thing. However, the purpose of knowledge is to take what I learn about God and then relate it to the people in a way, the people in my life, in a way that brings good to them. Knowledge for the purpose of building others up. Loving people. Now in case you're sitting there wondering this, a couple of side notes here on this. It's okay to hold others accountable to pay their own way in life. What we're not saying is that, so don't hear, we, hear us or hear me saying, oh, he's just, this, this is a weird, you know, practice because what do you do with people that are just going to uh, mooch? Does that mean I just help everyone with their goals? And what if I'm taken advantage of? Paul writes about that scenario. Here's what Paul writes, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, Paul writes, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Very like specific wording here. It says, will not work. When someone just refuses to work, they would not eat, he's saying. It doesn't mean can't work. It's saying will not work. What this means is everyone is accountable to bear their own responsibilities in life. Bear their own responsibilities. Look at this verse. Galatians 6 verse 5. For each one should carry his own load. Carrying your load is kind of this idea of everyone has a backpack in life. This is, this is your backpack and my backpack is, is the load of my normal responsibilities that I, I should be able to, to carry in life. If people are capable of working then they're to work. And, and through that, they gain an income. They're able to provide for themselves and for their families. But expecting someone else to bear their load, that's, that's not what this is saying. Look, there's a load that, that we're to all carry. Now, sometimes, and we all know this happens, when life overwhelms, here's what this calls me to do. When it's just, when it's overwhelming, I help out. This just shows up in my life. I'm sure, it shows up in your life. You're carrying your load, but then something happens and it just gets too heavy. Your backpack gets overloaded. It's like some, all of a sudden, it's full of bricks. And you're weighed down with the burdens of life that come up. We've all experienced difficulties. So Galatians 6.2, this is a few verses before that previous verse, carry each other's burdens. Well, verse 5 said, each one should carry his own load in life. And then this verse says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. This word burden is a different word than the word for load. It's a different Greek word. This word for burden, it actually means a really heavy load. A really heavy load. It's basically more than a person can bear alone. And so whenever life is falling in on someone, which we've seen that. I've seen that many times. Life's falling in on someone. Whenever that's happening, we help out. We help out. And this, now, this is specifically written to the church to care for the burdens that come up within the body. 
But it doesn't, it, it, but this still shows up where you can just see this is an opportunity to help out. Um, so what we do within the body here is we try to help each other. We shoulder the heavy load when it comes. What this looks like is you come alongside someone who's, the, the backpack's just too overwhelming. You come alongside, you get under, you help shoulder the load, and you say, hey, let's move on together. I'm going to help you move forward. This is very practical. Most often it shows up in our wallet or with our time. We just recognize the, the only thing I can do to help is give to this or to just be on the ground floor working with them on this. And again, you don't, you don't rescue people from their normal responsibility. That's actually not good for them. That can actually prevent people from growing when, when people's normal responsibilities, they're, they're shirking those. But when life is just falling in on someone, we step in and we help out. And even we do this. We even sacrifice. This hard attitude calls us to sacrifice. And that's not easy because most of us, it's like, well, I had a plan for that money. Or I had a plan for the weekend. Or I had a plan for that weeknight or this evening. But the sacrifice calls us to offer up. And we take it for the team, for the good of the team. 1 John 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him. What a pointed verse. How can the love of God be in him? And the only way to know if, if we practice this heart attitude, put the goals of others above my own. The only way you know if you really practice this in your life is if you get around people. You have to actually break into or be a part of peop other people's lives. You have, to, you have to do life with other people. So I encourage you to explore our small groups. Get to know people beyond just this gathering. Get to know people at, at the heart level. Get to know people here. Sign-ups for our small groups begin next month. That's a tangible way and place to display this kind of love. And so in summary, as we wrap up, I pursue my goals in line with the good of God, the good of other individuals, the good of the group, and the good of the church. And overall, this practice of putting the goals and interests of others above my own, this practice right here, heart attitude number one, we've been working at this. We aim to keep practicing this. For the past decade, we've been holding this practice up, and call, this, this play is called on and on and on. As we do this, it creates a delight and a motivation for people to be a part of this team. And it's, it, it, I really believe it has been one of the, the factors that has brought joy to many and delight to many at Church Life here, is the way that we serve one another. We don't do these perfectly. We aim to keep working on these. That's why we, these are practices. You keep working at it. And if you're new to this practice, uh, we hope you, you'll, you'll keep coming around and experience, not just on, on paper or on the screen, this value. I, I, I hope you'll experience it and try it on for yourself. And I, I really hope you'll experience other people putting your interests ahead of theirs. And so as our worship team comes up, we're going to wrap up and sing a, a closing song and... This way of living was so attractive in the first century that people, as the Christians started living out the ways of Jesus, more were drawn to want to know Jesus. More were drawn to this movement of Christianity. And that is our desire, that we would be part of that. And that others would come and want to experience more of doing life Jesus' way. And so, would you pray as we, as we wrap up this time? Father, thank you for your word and for the truths that we find and the challenges even, Lord, that challenge the status quo in our life to 
adjust and shift our, our normal attitudes, the attitudes of our heart, so that the way we live would be pleasing to you. For those of us here that are Christ followers, Lord, we really desire uh, that you would keep pinpointing the areas that you want us to yield over to you. And that that would be good for the people in our lives, good for our families, for our friends, for those that work with us, good for those here in the church as we interact, Lord. And Lord, what a joy to see this church serving the community this week, Lord. That, that brought tremendous good for many families this week to refresh people after a very, very hot week, Lord. And so thank you for the crew here that, that volunteered and really did practice this hard attitude. And we praise you and honor you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.